The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. The tiered approach components were actually developed with a combination of multiple systematic reviews that our team has performed and even review of other systematic reviews. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. Welcome to this episode of Annals on Call. In this episode, we discuss a supplement to the annals from October 1st, 2019, titled Strive, or States Targeting Reduction in Infections via Engagement. We focus primarily on two articles, both written by our guest, Dr. Jennifer Meddings. Dr. Meddings is an associate professor of both medicine and pediatrics at the University of Michigan. She does research based upon patient safety primarily focused on cauties or catheter-associated urinary tract infections and pressure skin injuries. The two articles that she first authored in the supplement are a tiered approach to preventing catheter-associated urinary tract infection and quantitative results of a national intervention to prevent hospital-acquired catheter-associated urinary tract infection, a pre-post-observational study. We hope you enjoy this episode. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, Tell us about STRIVE. What was the concept behind STRIVE? What does STRIVE mean? And what was the hope? Sure. Thanks for inviting me. So STRIVE stands for States Targeting Reductions in Infections Via Engagement. And this was a three-year program that spanned both acute care hospitals, long-term acute care hospitals, and even critical care hospitals in multiple states. It was funded by the CDC, and it was coordinated by the American Hospital Association's research arm called the Health Research and Educational Trust. And it had a couple of different goals. Overall, its goal was to improve infection prevention and control practices, specifically related to some key healthcare-associated infections, which I'll get into in a bit. But it also had another important goal, which was building linkages between the state hospital associations and the state healthcare departments and other just key prevention stakeholders so that this network would be useful in the future should states and hospitals need to coordinate in the setting of outbreaks. So as there's a whole supplement that we're referring to from the annals, and I think there are four different type infections you tried to prevent. People in the business just pronounce them, and we're supposed to know what they mean. But in case everyone doesn't know, the first one is cauties. So what are cauties? Cauties are catheter-associated urinary tract infections. Okay. Um, specifically, these are defined as having a urinary tract infection in someone after they've been in the hospital and for those indwelling urinary catheters. So not those catheters that come in and out that a lot of people use at home or those external catheters, but this was really focused on those indwelling urinary catheters that commonly are known as Foley's. Okay, and we'll get back 
to that because that's the main part of the project that you were personally involved in. But let's just mention the others. CDI is pretty straightforward. Yep, so that one's Clostridiotis, uh, difficile associated infection, the diarrhea. And this specifically is defined, and actually all these infections that we focused on there before are as they have been defined by the NHSN, which is the National Healthcare Safety Network, that hospitals are already collecting that data and reporting it. So these were not new definitions that were used. The infections that were studied, they were defined already as the hospitals already report them for public reporting. Clabsy. So Clabsy is central line associated bloodstream infection. Um, So central line associated bloodstream infection includes both those large central lines and also those pick lines. So those peripherally uh, inserted central lines. And the last one is MRSA, which I think everybody knows. Yep. So methicillin-resistant staph aureus associated bloodstream infection. So probably the most important thing to know is that this was not tracking every MRSA infection, such as skin infections. It was only measuring and trying to target those that were associated with bloodstream infections. So the supplement goes over the attempts at decreasing each of these. You were most involved in the catheter study. So could you talk about the tiered approach to trying to prevent cowties? Sure. So each of these infections, um, the program developed a two-tiered approach to help the participating hospitals try to prioritize their inventions to prevent that infection. And tier one was common across both in that its main theme was standardizing supplies, procedures, and processes. And then tier two is really what we called enhanced practices in all of these infections. And so um, to give you an example from catheter-associated urinary tract infection, tier one was recommended for all participating hospitals and units to do, and this had five components. One was making sure that they placed the indwelling urinary catheter only for appropriate reasons. The second component was encouraging use of alternatives to indwelling urinary catheters. And we had to provide a lot of education about alternatives because often that was new information for some units. The third component was ensuring proper aseptic insertion technique and maintenance procedures. The fourth component was optimizing prompt removal of unneeded catheters. And the fifth component was actually urine culture stewardship, which is mainly collecting that urine culture only if that patient had symptoms of a urinary tract infection. Now, tier two practices were recommended for the hospitals to do if their catheter-associated urinary tract infections were remaining elevated. And that actually recommended in tier two that they actually start with a needs assessment tool which was called the CAUDI Guide to Patient Safety, or GPS. And then there was also a second assessment tool that was provided by the CDC, known as the TAP strategy. And so this tool was important to use at first because it actually helped the units and hospitals realize where they might still have persistent gaps in either resources, supplies, education, or really implementation tools. And then it could help them prioritize which of these tier two enhanced practices that they would focus on. And one of the important things that we'd like to make sure everybody knows is that these assessment tools are actually readily available online with the supplement. Other components of these enhanced practices for CAUTI specifically included conducting catheter rounds with targeted education to optimize appropriate use. And so that really means that there was a designated person. Often it was a a nurse who performed catheter rounds periodically, either 
uh, once a week or once a shift or a couple times a month where they actually worked with the nurses to understand why that catheter was in place and if it did seem to be used inappropriately, provide on-the-spot education about appropriate use and the use of alternatives. The next component of the enhanced practices was feeding back infection and catheter use to the frontline staff in real time. And the main critical component of this is actually the real-time component because that is actually not commonly used in hospitals these days. So for example, although many of these hospitals are collecting data on catheter-associated UTI, they're even feeding back the data to the units. Sometimes that data is a bit stale by the time it gets fed back, so it might be a month or two old because often that data is being collected by people outside of the committee. And we find that sometimes it's important to really bring that data about a county to the clinician's attention while they're still caring for the patient. So it's more meaningful for them and it's easy for them to understand what alternatives they could have used for that urinary catheter or were there gaps in caring for that catheter rather than trying to figure it out a month or two later. Another component of the enhanced practices is observing and documenting competency of catheter insertion, um, and this include both education and observed behaviors. And this was important because although many, I mean, most catheters are placed by nurses in hospitals, and although nurses do receive education during their nursing training about placing catheters, sometimes when we've seen on visits and asked uh, nurses when was the last time somebody observed their placement technique, it's been a long time. It might have been since the last time they were in school. And so because if you actually look at the individual steps of placing a urinary catheter aseptically, it's, it's actually not a simple procedure and can warrant some refreshment. And so one of the enhanced practices is doing this on more a routine basis, either an annual observed competency or doing an observed competency for all new employees who are placing catheters. And the fifth component for enhanced practices for prevention of county is actually performing a full root cause analysis or a focused review of the infections that happen. Now, many hospitals are doing this already as part of very specific county prevention committees. And so that may not actually even be a new practice for hospitals, but particularly for smaller hospitals, that might be a new skill set and a new uh, practice for them to do. But one of the most important things about performing these full root cause analysis or focus reviews is actually getting that data back to the clinicians who were actually caring for the patient. So not just posting it on you know, a board in that unit or bringing it up at an annual meeting or a monthly meeting, but somehow getting that data back to the clinicians so that they could change their practice if opportunities are there and getting it back more in real time. So I really like the feedback part, which is what we would call deliberate practice. It's kind of hard to fix something if you don't know that you made a mistake. So that's great. As I understand, these are all things that studies have shown make a difference. Is that correct? Yes. So the tiered approach components were actually developed with a combination of multiple systematic reviews that our team has performed and even review of other systematic reviews that are in the literature for prevention of catheter-associated UTI and even specifically looking in the difficult environments of the ICU, what works um, or not. And so there is evidence behind each of these, although it's stronger for some than others. So how many different hospitals were involved in this and how many different states? So overall, there were 462 hospitals that were recruited in 28 states, and 443 of these hospitals completed the 12-month program. 
in the supplement, if you actually look at the individual articles that are by specific infections, the hospital numbers are a bit different because not all hospitals focused on every infection. But it was about 400 or so from about 28 states. So this seems like a daunting task. What did the study show? So this study had a couple of different outcomes. The primary outcome, which particularly as clinicians we were focused on, is that there unfortunately were no significant improvements in the four infections that were targeted. And there were a couple of different observations about these. So all of these infections, although these hospitals were actually specifically chosen based upon concerns for having a high burden of these infections based upon some earlier data before um, recruitment, many of these hospitals actually had quite low rates of these infections at baseline, and they remained low. And specifically for CLABSI, um, CAUDI, CDI, and MRSA, associated bloodstream infection, the baseline rates were low throughout the program, lower than expected for a program that was targeting hospitals with high rates. So there are different ways to interpret this. And one is that perhaps the research that's been done and the spotlight that's been placed on these infections are leading to secular trends that are doing many of the things that you hoped to do in the study. Have you all considered that as a possibility? Yes. And actually, One of the things that was actually important about this study compared to many of the individual interventions that get published in the literature is this study actually collected quite a lot of baseline data. So we could actually look at the trends in these rates compared to the post-intervention data because you'll see that many interventions that get published, they simply are looking at the baseline rate at the beginning of the intervention and sort of the change in rate after the intervention. In many of these infections, you would have thought if we only looked at that data that the intervention was successful. But we thought it was really important to compare it to the secular trends for these hospitals. And that's where we saw that even though the rates were declining, they weren't declining faster than they were prior to the intervention. So first of all, I think it's great that we have this set of studies while we're focusing on the Cowdy study that you had a major involvement in. The other studies actually have similar findings. What are the big lessons that you and your group have learned from this study about trying to improve the care of patients? And let's go specifically patients who need urinary catheters. Sure. So particularly if you use the example of urinary catheters, we could see with Cowdy also similar to the other infections that there were some hospitals that actually were able to make a difference. They could either get rates to low or rates that were reduced, but it was the aggregate rate overall for the program that did not change. So in some hospitals, there might have been some important improvements for the patients that were seeing them. Perhaps the one thing we learned by our interactions with hospitals throughout the program is that these are very busy clinicians and they have so many different competing priorities. And so particularly county sometimes is not the highest priority for them. And one of the things that we have learned is even though you're providing education about appropriate indications, sometimes it's actually not lack of education alone that is the barrier. It actually has to do with other things. The other thing we've known, particularly with Cowdy, is that this intervention was brief. So although it was a three-year program, each cohort of hospital participation was only 12 months. And we think it actually might take more than 12 months to implement the types of changes in the units that are needed for significant and sustained changes in challenging HAIs, such as the four infections that were chosen. 
because often this is not a matter of simply do you have the right kit are you using the right product and those are easy switches to make it's a matter of changing your workflow changing your physician to nurse I mean, nurse to physician communication and how do you actually manage the increased work that might occur at the bedside if you don't use central lines or urinary catheters as often. The other thing we've learned, and I think this is also important for catheter-associated UTI in particular, is that externally facilitated interventions like this, and this was clearly externally facilitated, we brought lots of important resources that improved data collection and interpretation of that data. We brought many assessment tools to help the individual units diagnose their hospital's gaps in infection prevention practices and resources. We provided lots of very easy to use, like 10 to 20 minute on-demand modules about foundational and infection specific prevention practices. And we even brought together these collaborative virtual meetings. However, I do have to think as a clinician that sometimes tailoring these interventions to address the specific challenges at the bedside will need local leadership and resources that can allow champion nurses and physicians to do that data collection, education, and skill assessments. And some of these externally facilitated programs, they don't you know, they can't bring a new staff member to your unit. They can't support dedicated effort for your nurse leader to uh, do Foley rounds. You have to find a way to do that at the individual setting. So to wrap this up, there are a lot of hospitalists who listen to this podcast, and I do time on the inpatient service. What should I and other hospitalists learn from these studies? Because I think there's a lot to learn, even though in the aggregate, didn't make a difference, but it was some hospitals that really did make a difference. So what advice do you have for us? Sure. So I think probably one of the most valuable tools and resources for hospitals to learn from this project is that this project used very brief and evidence-based assessment tools that any hospitalist can now use to assess their own unit's infection prevention practices and resources that are specific to each of these four infections. And these were called the guides to patient safety or GPS. And these are actually very quick surveys that are actually available online at the links that are within the supplement document for these Annals of Internal Medicine issue. And actually, when you take this very short survey, then it actually provides you instant answers and guidance for what to do if you have that particular gap or you don't have optimal resources for that. And I think that these assessment tools are very helpful for hospitals to identify first if there are low-hanging fruit for improvement, such as do they need to standardize their supplies or make them more organized so it's actually easy to use those lower-risk devices, such as external catheters, and not just easy to use a Foley. And also figure out if there really are very specific educational gaps that can be addressed. And the other thing that I think it's important for hospitals to know is that particularly the answers that were given on the GPS survey in response to how you address it, they can actually help you identify which resources are recommended for infection control by experts that you could actually use as a hospitalist when advocating for resources that your team needs to optimize your infection prevention. I also think it's really important for hospitalists to think about and understand when education alone is really not going to be expected to be successful to address their unit's challenge. So, for example, um, when catheters are not used because of lack of education, that there is an alternative strategy used, but instead it's they're using them because of either the convenience that it provides 
either the patient or the uh, staff, and they really need more resources to say help that bedside staff care for the incontinent patient who's not using that urinary catheter. And so think about, try to understand, is it really an educational barrier, um, reason why your devices might be getting used more often than they need to? Do they really need education about indications? And sometimes they do, particularly residents or attendings the first time around, but also note that giving education alone may not fix it. You also have to realize what are their sort of day-to-day practical temptations for using these devices. The other thing I think is important for hospitalists to know is that many of these HAIs are decreasing, and they have been for a while. And so when you do any sort of intervention to try to compare your impact of that intervention, it's important to collect enough data prior to that intervention to really understand if your intervention really influenced that rate of decline more than that pre-existing trend. And that's something that many of these hospitals have this pre-existing data because they're already reporting it to NHSN, but it's important to really look at enough of that data so that you understand that your decrease after your intervention, is it really a faster decrease after your intervention compared to the trend, or is it really just a continuation of that trend? The other thing I think is important for people to know about this project is that even though there were no substantial changes in the aggregate HAI rates, there were some hospitals that actually maintained zero rates and got to or got to lower rates, but also that Strive had another goal. It wasn't just focused on the HAI rates. Strive actually wanted to improve state partner relationships and coordination for outbreaks. And through the qualitative work that was done with interviews, this program does seem to have improved the state partner relationships, which was an important goal for the project. Well, thank you so much for talking about this project, specifically talking about counties, because it's such a common concern that I can tell the difference now from five years ago in the conversations I have with interns and residents about urinary catheters. And I think it's the work that you and your colleagues have done. And certainly this project has increased people's awareness of the importance. And so we're very grateful for all the work you've done. And we really appreciate you explaining what we can take home out of this very, very important project. Thank you very much. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. In looking at the STRIVE studies in general, this project involved many hospitals in many states and did not change the rate of infections in any significant way. It's refreshing to be able to discuss a negative trial I suspect that much of the reason that we did not see a decrease is that we have secular trends that are making all of us more aware of these particular infections and that we already are doing many of the things that the investigators and the project tried to help us do better. Now, there's still some hospitals that do better than others, And there's much to learn from the tiered approaches that are outlined in uh, the STRIVE supplement. My big take-home message is that these infections and decreasing these infections are the responsibility of all of us who work in hospitals and that we should always think about how to prevent the spread of these infections or the occurrence of these infections. 
We hope you've learned something about this very important topic on this episode. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participants' statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the Journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.